Well, John Billings was a, a poor guy, but he got a job working at the local factory, second shift. He got off every night at midnight. He had to, didn't have a car. He had to walk home, and it was about two miles, and a lot of times it would be cold. And Finally, he found a little shortcut where he could go through the graveyard, and he could get home in about half the time. And so one night, he's walking home through the graveyard. There was a freshly dug grave that he didn't see, and he fell into that grave. Well, he's down here scratching and clawing, trying to get out, and he just finally came to the conclusion he wasn't going to be able to get out, and he thought, I'll just wait till morning. So he sat down in the corner of that dark grave, and he sat there quietly, you know, nodding off a little bit. All of a sudden, he hears all this noise and banging, and another guy, the town drunk, came along, and he fell in the grave right there. And John sat there quietly and watched this guy scratch and claw and try to get out of the grave and finally John spoke up and he said it's no use I've tried you can't get out well he did you can imagine how he felt as he heard that voice and he jumped out of the grave but you know we don't like graves graves are creepy we don't like death do we but you know we have to deal with it death is part of life and the good news is the Bible gives us some hope about our death. Something to hold on to. Something to look forward to. Even in our death, we can look forward. We've been going through this series called Why I Believe. And we've talked about a number of topics. Why I believe uh, God is creator. Why I believe the Bible is God's word. Why I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Why I believe the Holy Spirit is real. Why I believe the church is essential. Why I believe... Uh, today we're going to talk about why I believe Jesus died and rose again. Because that fact is very important to our faith. And the hope that we have for the future. So as we think about this today, you know, I realize that for some people it's hard. It's hard to think about Jesus rising from the dead. In fact, the Bible even admits that. It says for some people it'll be a stumbling block. For some people it's considered foolishness. But the Bible says for those that believe, it is the power and the wisdom of God. So I raise a question today, why should we believe that Jesus died and rose again? Every day we see death. I don't know if some of you know or not, a dear sister in our church, Shirley Lewis, uh, passed away yesterday, early yesterday morning. She's a long-time member, joined this church back in the 60s, has been here, she's been a vital part of this church for many years, and she will be greatly missed Every day, we have to deal with death. It's in our newspaper. There's a list of all the people in our community that have passed away. And part of life is dealing with death. But we don't see a resurrection every day. Now, we hear about people that have so-called been resurrected back to life. Maybe the better word would be revival. I was watching the Today Show this week. I believe it was Tuesday this past week. And they talked about a woman on there that was supposedly clinically dead for 40 minutes. 
they were doing CPR on her. Normally they stopped doing CPR after, I don't know, so many minutes. But for some reason the doctor said, no, we're not going to give up on this woman. And they kept going. And eventually she came back to life. Now, of course, they were doing CPR the whole time. So she was getting oxygen. She was getting blood flowing through her body. But eventually the line on the computer started going up and down again. And her heart started beating. We would call that more of a revival than we would a resurrection. But think about the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says three days he was in the tomb. And nobody was doing CPR on him. And nobody was giving him electric shocks trying to bring him back. He was dead and in the tomb. But I'd like you to turn today to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, you can read the whole chapter later on. We're going to look at the first few verses today. But there's a lot of powerful stuff in here that relates to the resurrection, even to our resurrection in the future. But we're going to focus today on Jesus' resurrection. The church at Corinth was a good church. It was a vibrant church, but they had gotten off track on some things, and Paul writes to uh, straighten them out on some of these things. But also here, as he begins to close out this message, Paul reminds them of what is essential to the faith. It's essential to being a Christian to understand what Paul's talking about here. In fact, he says to them, it's this thing that we have taken our stand. So let's read verse 15, beginning at verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So we're going to think about this for just a minute, and we'll stop right there for now. And I want you to think through um, this death and burial and resurrection. And the first thing I want you to think about is that death and resurrection are central to the gospel message. It's a key part. You know, a Sunday school teacher asked her class, said, class, what do you got to do to get to heaven? One boy raised his hand and said, teacher, you got to be dead. Well, that's just common sense. Before you can leave this earth and be resurrected and go to heaven, you have to be dead. Jesus was dead. Paul begins this passage. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. That's the main message about Jesus. The message on which we base what we do as Christian people and the church. They had received the message, which Paul indicates means that they believed it. He said, this is what you have made your stand on. This is what we stand on. You know, I'll, I'll admit that there are some things that, you know, that go on in various churches that are, you know, kind of, you know, well, that's okay if you want to do that. But this one thing we can't throw out, that Christ died for our sins. That is key to our message. It's the crux of what we believe as a church. 
And you know, that word gospel is the message of Jesus. It, it means good news. And some would say, how can it be good news? The guy died. But it's the reason that he died. And that's what we need to understand. This gospel message, it says, leads to us being saved. Paul says, if you hold to this word, if you hold on to it, if you believe it, if you have it ingrained in your thoughts. And beginning here in verse 3, Paul breaks down the essentials of that message. Look at verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You see, Jesus died as the atoning sacrifice for those who believe. First importance, he says. It's the idea that this is essential to your faith, that you understand that Jesus had to die for your sins. You know, throughout history, people have tried to explain away the death of Jesus Christ. People have come up with all kinds of theories about that. There was a radio Bible preacher back in the 60s. His name was J. Vernon McGee. He started the Through the Bible radio program. People all over the country used to listen to that program. He was a, he was a really good preacher, straightforward. He was honest. And sometimes he was very humorous in what he had to say uh, about the Bible. A lady wrote him a letter and she listened on a regular basis. And here's what she wrote to Dr. McGee. Dear Mr. McGee, my preacher says that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, that he just swooned, and in the cool air of the tomb he was revived. What do you say about this theory? Could it be true? Here's what Dr. McGee responded back to this lady. Dear Madam, beat your preacher with a leather whip for 40 lashes. Nail him to a cross. Place a crown of thorns on his head. Hang him in the hot sun for six hours. Then run a spear through his side and see what happens. You know, the reality is Jesus went through this brutal death. The Roman crucifixion was the most horrific thing that you can imagine. This is how it went. The person that was sentenced to death would be beaten with the cat of nine tails. It's a leather whip. It's got uh, nine leather strands. In those leather strands, it's woven with pieces of bone out of dead animals and little, uh, little balls of steel, and they would beat you, supposedly 40 lashes, but the Romans didn't count. They just beat you till they were through beating you. And then they took you to the cross if that didn't kill you. They would lay you on the cross and nail you onto that cross beam, and they would put your feet together and put one nail through both feet, and then they would set that cross up in a socket up on the hill because they wanted everybody in the town to see that these criminals were being crucified. Now, you think that's horrific, but that's not the end of it. Of course, your back was all bloody where you'd been beaten, and it was rubbing against that cross, and that was horrific. But then as you hung there... It put pressure on your rib cage against your lungs and you really ended up dying from suffocation as you hung on that cross. This is what happened to Jesus. He was hanging there. The day that he died was Friday. The next day was the Jewish Sabbath. And the leaders of the Jews went and asked that they would 
they would expediate the death of the two criminals that were killed with Jesus and Jesus so that the bodies wouldn't be hanging there on their Sabbath day. And so the Romans went and they broke the legs of both of the criminals so they couldn't push up and take a breath of air so they would die quicker. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. The Bible says one of the Roman soldiers rammed a spear into his side and blood and water gushed out. Probably hit the pericardium sac and, and finished Jesus off if there was any hint of life still in his body. It was horrific. But Jesus was dead. There he was on the cross. But that death was not without reason was not without reason. Some people think it was senseless. But hear what Paul said. He died for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. You know, in Old Testament times, God allowed the Jewish people to make an animal sacrifice when they had sinned to pay the penalty for their sin. It was a substitutionary sacrifice. And they would bring an animal and, you know, admit their sin to the priest, and the priest would kill the animal, and that would make atonement for the sin. But that got old. And then you couldn't possibly make a sacrifice for every sin that you committed because we all know that we sometimes fall short of what God requires of us. And eventually God said, it's not your animal sacrifices that I want. I want your heart. And God sent His Son to be one sacrifice once for all and that those that would believe in that sacrifice would be saved. It was prophesied over 700 years before Jesus went to the cross that He would die, that their Messiah, the word Messiah, the word Christ mean the same thing, one Hebrew. Christ is our English word. The Greek word is Christos. And it means anointed one. It means the king. And in Isaiah 53, Isaiah the prophet prophesies, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, he was pierced on the cross for our transgressions. He was that sacrifice of atonement. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus' sacrifice made atonement for your sin. It, it satisfied the penalty for your sin if you believe in Him. Verse 4 now goes on to say that He was buried, He died, He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You know, Jesus rose as confirmation to the Gospel. There's not any doubt that Jesus was dead. I mean, he went through this brutal Roman crucifixion. There were two guys 
Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who Jesus met with in John chapter 4 one evening to discuss why he had come. These two prominent Jewish leaders, they were part of the Jewish ruling council, took Jesus' body off the cross and buried him in a grave. Now these were educated men. They would have known whether Jesus was dead or not. They knew he was, otherwise they wouldn't have buried him. If he would have been alive, then they would have spoken up and, and, and revealed this whole thing to be a hoax. But they knew he was dead. And they put him in the grave. But he rose out of that grave. It was prophesied again in Scripture in Isaiah, same chapter, 53, verse 11. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Jesus served his purpose that God sent him for, and he died, but he rose again. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, speaking to his apostles right before he was taken up to heaven, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he told him, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So those apostles were witnesses. They saw Jesus die. They saw Jesus be buried. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. And he gave them instructions. You know, even though they saw the empty tomb, at first they didn't understand. John 20, verse 9, they still did not understand from the Scripture that Jesus had to raise from the dead. You know what brought it, brought it into to clarity for them? They saw the resurrected Jesus. He spoke to them. He gave them instructions. They knew who he was. They knew that that was the Jesus that they had followed for three and a half years. And Jesus told them to go and begin to be witnesses to what has happened. You know, before his death, that Saturday after he was crucified on Friday, they were all down and out. They didn't really know what to do. But after they saw the resurrected Christ, and he gave him their instructions, you know what they did? They went out, they saw him, they heard him, he told them what to do, and the Holy Spirit came on him and on them, and they went and they began to preach and they teach, and they blessed people, and they healed people, and they did some miracles, and they established a church, and it's still going on today. They didn't do that for a lie. They did that because they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, and they were witnesses. There's a lot of miracles done in the life of Jesus. And Jesus said, these miracles point to me in John 5, 36. But the resurrection is the most important of the miracles because it shows us what is to come for us. In fact, in, John, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When he talks about falling asleep, that's a Jewish terminology for dead. The first fruits of the dead. Christ was the first to die this death and be resurrected. 
You know, the first fruits are the example from the crop. When you start to harvest your crop, you know, when it first starts to come in, the first fruits are the example of what you're going to get that year from your crop. And Jesus was our first fruits. He shows us what resurrection is going to be like. First of all, He shows us that it is real and that it will happen. And that resurrection fulfilled what was said in the Scripture about Him. It confirmed who Jesus was. Now, I want you to notice something else. Paul, in his writing here, calls two kinds of witness are noted. Jesus was born into a Jewish culture, and in the Jewish culture, the law said a testimony about anyone must be established by two witnesses. So Paul gives two witnesses here. And the first of those is the Scripture. At the end of verse 4, he says, uh, according to the Scripture. So he's given the Scripture as one of the witnesses. At the time Paul wrote this, the New Testament had not been completed yet. And it had not been compiled and put together with the Old Testament. So when he's talking about the Scriptures, he's mostly talking about the Old Testament. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the life and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. And so he's referring to the Old Testament. Now, this Christ, this Messiah, was thought by the Jewish people to be the Savior that was going to restore their nation to the prominence it had once known under King David. What they didn't realize is he was not going to just be a Savior for the Jews. He was going to be a Savior for the whole world, for anybody of any nationality, of any color, of any creed that would place their faith in Him. In fact, again, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it indicates that this Christ, this Messiah, will restore and save Israel. But it also says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It all points to Jesus, the Scripture, that He's going to be the Savior of all the people. Now look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. And that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some are fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. So he's pointing to the eyewitnesses that can verify that Jesus died and rose again. So you have the scriptures that prophesied it was going to happen. Now you have the eyewitness accounts. If you do the math here and count this up, it says it appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. That's one. And then it says to the twelve... Now, Peter is one of the twelve, so you can't count him twice. And at this time, Judas had died, so there's really only ten, but twelve was the way they referred to all the apostles. And so there's Peter and the other ten apostles. And then it says to more than 500, so you got over 511 people right there. And then it says he appeared to James. James was not an apostle, but he was the Lord's brother that headed up the Jerusalem church. So that's 5.12, and then Paul says to me. 
So that's five, over 513 people. And Paul's point is, if you don't believe this is true, go talk to the witnesses. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They can verify you that he was up and he was walking around. They knew he'd been crucified, but he's alive. You know, I read this week about this guy, J. Warner Wallace. J. Warner Wallace was a forensic detective. And he specialized in solving cold cases. That is, old cases that have been put away unsolved. And he started to read the scriptures and started to be intrigued about the gospels and the account of Jesus' resurrection. And he said, I'm going to take my forensic uh, detective skills and put them to use because I like this story, but is it true? And so he began to ask the question and he began to investigate. And it's the ultimate cold case because all the eyewitnesses and all the hard evidence are gone for 2,000 years now. But he'll begin to apply his skills. And he was an atheist. He didn't want to believe it. But as he began to look into it, guess what happened? He says, I was utterly convinced that it was true. In fact, there are four main principles that he said caused him to believe. One is that Jesus died on the cross and was buried. He said nobody disputes that. Not Jesus' enemies, not his friends. Nobody disputes either that Jesus' tomb was empty and that nobody ever produced a dead body. Nobody could produce a dead body because it wasn't dead. It had been resurrected. Thirdly, he said, Jesus' disciples believed what they saw, that they saw the resurrected Jesus from the dead And so they were eyewitnesses, and they gave their accounts in the writings of the New Testament. And then he said, fourthly, Jesus' disciples were transformed because they followed this man, Jesus, who rose from the dead. You know, people sometimes do something, uh, you know, fantastic like that, but but not when they get pressured that we're going to put you to death if you keep doing that. But these apostles said, no, we believe it's true. You put me to death if you want to. Why would they be willing to go to death? Because they knew they were going to follow Jesus and be resurrected. And so they did it. So here's a forensic scientist that says, I've looked at the material and I believe that it's true. You know, all it really takes is a little investigation to really read the Scriptures to really listen to the eyewitness accounts that are in the New Testament, to look at the lives and how they were changed. And you can come to believe that the account of Jesus, that he died and rose again, is true. And here's our connection point. That if we accept by faith that Jesus died and rose again, we receive God's grace and the gift of eternal life. You know, another one of my favorite scriptures is found in Romans 10, verse 9. It simply says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's pretty simple. That's why I believe Jesus died and rose again. Let's pray. God, we do thank you today for the testimony, 
the testimony of your word. Lord, you told us years before it happened that it was going to happen. The testimony of the eyewitnesses that wrote down these accounts and gave them to us that we can read all these many years later. The, the testimony of the changed lives that went out and proclaimed the gospel and established the church, changed people's lives. Lord, we thank you for all that. And today we want to pray, Lord, that you give us the foresight to listen and to believe. There's ample evidence for us. And we thank you for the saving grace of Jesus. Help us all in this place today. All that are out in video land listening, help them to know that Jesus wants to save their lives. For it's his name that we pray and praise today. Amen.